Good morning. Welcome to everyone who's here, everyone upstairs, everyone at, coming out from elsewhere, dialing in on the Zoom. Um, <clears throat> all right, let me quickly organize my things here. Um, okay, we live. Feels like a news conference with all these mics. <laughs> okay. Uh, good morning, everyone. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Matthew. Um, my wife Sarah is also here. So, yeah, we at this church. If, if you don't, if you don't know me, if you've never seen me, um, that's that's my name. And um, so. Uh, you are most welcome. Um, what we are doing today, as I've mentioned previously, the whole month of August has been a meditation on Psalm 52, um, which I hope has been a blessing to you guys as much as it's been a blessing to me in my life to meditate on Psalm 52. Uh, preaching it is also a blessing, but meditating on it was a blessing before I got to preaching this, and that's why I'm preaching it. Um, so... If you, if you are new and you haven't heard um, the rest of the sermons in August, uh, there are ways of, of catching up on that. But I will give a little brief summary. Um, but, but Psalm 52 might seem like an odd one to preach on. It's not, you know, Psalm 23 or Psalm 91. All the ones that everyone knows, even non-Christians know those words. But um, <clears throat> Psalm 52 is... Is, I found Psalm 52 to be a great encouragement to me um, the last year or so, and, and even going further back. And so that's why I've preached it. And so um, we're going to read through it just now, but, but maybe before we do that, I'm going to do it the other way around this time, and we can just look at the summary. But really why it's been an encouragement and what Psalm 52 does. Am I still in? I must step here to the camera. Um, Psalm 52 is a psalm of David that, that addresses the question of evil. Psalm 52 is a meditation of David, on, and we see from there how he processes evil. Um, and that's been an encouragement to me because there's a lot of evil in the world. There's a lot of real wickedness and malice at work in the world, seemingly unchecked, seemingly unchallenged, undealt with. But Psalm 52 provides us a meditation to help us to process that and help us to to keep um, alive as Christians, spiritually alive, because the wickedness can be crushing, it can be uh, depressing, it can bring you to all sorts of despair. But as we see in Psalm 52, and we'll touch on that now, um, David somehow has a vibrant, living relationship with God. He's, he's doing well, he's flourishing in a way, despite all the wickedness that he sees around him. So, we'll read through it, but I think let's just quickly look at the summary, um, which I think is on the next page. So, the first week we looked at, so this is part three of three. Part one, the other day, was firstly gave context to the psalm. So, the back story to the psalm is a, there's a whole sequence of events that takes place in 1 Samuel 21 and 22. So, I'm not going to rehash all of that detail, but there it is in nice summary if you want to Go read it for yourself. But 1 Samuel 21 and 22 chronicles the story of Dog the Edomite, 
who carries out some serious unjust evil on some people. Um, and David is also involved there, uh, not involved in carrying out the evil, but it, it affects David. Mm-hmm. So, you, I mean, you'll understand when you read it there. But suffice to say, there's a guy, a mighty man of evil, called Dog the Edomite, who, who does lots of unjust evil stuff. And we see David trying to process that. And we see what David does in part one of the scriptures. He, say, he essentially says evil will be evil. He recognizes that this evil that Doeg done, Doeg actually loved doing that. That was, Doeg loved deceit. He loved working destruction. He loved evil. And in, 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 in with, with that train of thought, we, we also looked at uh, Luke and Matthew. And in Luke 21, Jesus is, is foretelling the end times. He's saying what's going to happen at the end of the end of this age, which is the age that we're living in, uh, before he comes back for his bride, and before the new heavens and the new earth comes about. Okay. Um, Jesus is talking about what it's going to be like, and he he doesn't sugarcoat anything. Jesus speaks very plainly about what's going to come of this world and and what people are going to be like at that time, and what sort of destruction is going to be unfolding. And he says that people will be fainting with fear and foreboding at what's happening around them. It'll be a frightful sight. But he says, but you guys, to his disciples now, you guys at that time need to raise your heads and know that your redemption is drawing near. So Jesus spells out what's going to happen. He spells out what's gonna, how people are going to respond to it. But he calls his disciples to a different response. Um, and the other scripture there is Matthew 24, verse 12, which is the same passage of scripture just in Matthew and the way it's phrased there, which is sort of a well-known scripture, but it says, because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. And as the message put it, the rampant spread of e- because of the rampant spread of evil, people's love will be quenched. It will die out and be just nothing but a pile of ashes. And it's very important to, for us to pay attention to that because all of us can see evil around in the world. Um, if none of us have seen evil before, be very surprised Um, and it's infuriating it is it can strike fear it can strike anger it can strike all sorts of emotions up in us and if we don't process it and understand it correctly we can become like those where the spread of evil has just quenched our love it's it's like made us cold towards people it's made us cold towards god um because we don't understand it or know how to deal with it. And it can quench your worship, your thanksgiving. You can become very bitter, very malicious yourself. Um, and I myself, have, as I've shared in the past two weeks, have experienced all those emotions, which is why I found the psalm so relevant to me. Um, but in short summary, part one, we could say, is facing the reality of evil and wickedness. Both in David's words in section one and in Jesus' words, it's very plain. Let's not fool ourselves that... Um, if I speak nicely to an evil person, the worst evil person you can think of politically or otherwise or murderer or whatever, if I really speak nicely to them, maybe they'll change. Like David says, you love evil. You love deceit. I'll never get the truth out of you because you love deceit. Lies are your craft and it's what you love doing. So why am I getting bent, like so frustrated and trying to implore you to speak the truth? It won't happen. And that I find encouraging because at least for me, I find that's an instinctive response is to 
is to have some outrage and put it all together and invent and, and say this is how it should be. But, you know, for some evil, it's like water for duck's back. You know, it's going to bounce right back off you. And it takes a lot of energy and a lot of emotion to, if that doesn't resolve. So, part two we looked at. Um, we again traced the steps of Psalm 52 in the second section. And we also looked at Revelations and 2 Peter 3. So section 2 I would summarize as um, consolation in God's sure judgment upon evil. So Psalm 50, the first section, David faces evil for what it is. The second section, there's a consolation. Because if we were to say evil will be evil and that's all it is and you just have to live with it, you're not left with much. But scripture doesn't leave us there. David's consolation, he says, okay, but I know, though this wicked thing has just happened um, and is seemingly unchecked, I know that God is going to finally bring judgment on wickedness and sin. He will settle the score, so to speak. He will solve the equation. He will resolve everything that is unresolved. And we just spoke a little bit about justice, God's justice on evil. We said sometimes it's a tricky conversation because when we see real evil, we want God to pour out his justice on someone. But when you talk about our own culpability and sin or whatever, then we want to get funny about God's justice and avoid it or whatever. But in short, we said it is, God has to, in his, perf, in his perfection, has to judge wickedness. He has to meet out a penalty on wickedness and sin. And we actually understand that when we think of other evil stuff that we see in the world. Um, we said, you know, it, it would never seem right to anyone that... Charles Manson as a murderer or Hitler or whoever it is, the evil person you can think of who's just blatantly killed thousands of people for their own agenda, it would sit well with no one, I don't think, that you would say, ah, all is well with them, all is fine, you know, God just looks over it. We have that sense of injustice that that needs to be resolved. And that's what David consoles himself with. And we looked at that in Revelations as well. We had a picture there of, of the martyrs under the altar um, in heaven, in John's vision, the, mart- the martyrs are sitting there, and they're saying to, they see everything that's happening on earth, and they're saying to God, God, how long until you will avenge our, our blood? So the martyrs were unjustly killed for their faith. They're innocent, they'd done nothing wrong, but were killed by virtue of their allegiance to Christ. And we said, as, you know, that's a holy thing. That's a holy, um, yeah, it's, it's really glorious and holy and but even though they've gone through it even though they were willing to sacrifice their lives uh, they still understand in heaven seeing everything they understand that god still has to avenge that like that was an an injustice that god is still going to address um so even in heaven okay so it's just to show that from from old testament to new testament from everywhere from god's perspective he's going to resolve evil and to Peter, we, we just looked at briefly the same sort of message. Um, but we did make the point of understanding where we've come from. Uh, also, at one time, being under the wrath of God, being brought out of that by the mercy of Christ, and found um, having, having received mercy. Because the temptation is when you see lots of evil and you know God's going to judge it, you want to be maybe like James and John in, in the Gospels, who's, who win. There was a town that rejected Jesus and his disciples. The disciples were outside the town. They said, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to consume this town? 
because look what they've done. They've just treated you. They've blasphemed you. Jesus says, well, guys, just hang on. And we saw that in the message in Peter, that scoffers will come in the last days and say, oh, God's day of judgment is not coming. Where is it? You know, if he really cares a bit about evil, why doesn't he do something about it? Peter is saying, God is not slow as some count slowness, but he's actually extending mercy. God's not willing that any should perish. God is, is keeping the door open for people to turn towards him still. And so, in our understanding of wickedness and God's sure judgment upon it, we retain a merciful heart and a humble heart ourselves. We, don't, we never step up to be the judge to call down the fire. That's not really our place. Um, and we understand mercy and we remain merciful towards those. And we saw Paul as the perfect example of that. Paul, while he was still Saul, was decimating the church in the most wicked way possible. And rightly, he could have been judged. Rightly, the Christians at the time would have said, Lord, this guy is destroying your church. Deal with him. But then God actually shows mercy to Saul, changes his heart, and, and, and Saul becomes Paul, who's written most of the New Testament. So that was just something to hold before us. Yo, this thing's booming a little, quite a lot. I'll just talk like this. Um, so that was part one and part two. Now we get to part three. So I'm going to have us read through um, Psalm 52 together, and then we'll launch into part three. So I think that's on the next slide. Okay, so this is Psalm 52 in the ESV. Um, this is section one, and you'll see uh, what I summarized in section one. These are the words that speak to that. So it says, why do you boast of evil, O mighty man? The steadfast love of God endures all the day. Your tongue plots destruction like a sharp razor, you worker of deceit. You love evil more than good and lying more than speaking what is right. You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue. So David faces evil for what it is. Part two, God's sure judgment. He says, but God will break you down forever. He will snatch and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous shall see and fear and shall laugh at him, saying, See the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction. And then part three is the one we're going to look at today. It's the next slide. But I, David says, am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. I will thank you forever because you have done it. I will wait for your name, for it is good in the presence of the godly. So maybe we can quickly read through that in the message just for another sort of take on it, another flavor. Why do you brag of evil, big man? God's mercy carries the day. You scheme catastrophe. Your tongue cuts razor sharp, artisan in lies. You love evil more than good. You call black white. You love malicious gossip, you foul mouth. God will tear you limb from limb, sweep you up and throw you out, pull you up by the roots from the land of life. Good people will watch and worship. They'll laugh in relief. Big man bet on the wrong horse, trusted in big money, and made his living from catastrophe. Next slide. And I'm an, an olive tree, growing green in God's house. I trusted in the generous mercy of God then and now. I thank you always that you went into action. And I'll stay right here, your good name, my hope, in company with your faithful friends. So, before we get to section three, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to launch right into it. 
Father, we thank you for your word and that you speak to us by it and you show us things that we haven't seen before and you, you always refresh us as you speak with us, Lord. And yeah, we pray that you would help us to understand these things and to understand your word this morning. Pray for every heart and that it may be soft towards you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. So Psalm 52, the olive tree. Behold, some pieces of an olive tree. Um, that's just a little visual cue for, for you guys. But So that's where we are today, the olive tree. If it looks a bit windswept, it's because we live in Monaton, which is basically a wind tunnel. Um, but that is, if you haven't seen an olive tree before, this is, these are branches from an olive tree. Um, very, very nice, beautiful tree. We've got some in our garden. <clears throat> So when we get to the green olive tree, we see, ah, I want to be an olive tree. And that was really me. I was like, oh, man, the more I see of all the wicked stuff going on in the world, the more I'm drying up, the more I'm like struggling to pray, struggling to worship, feeling, you just feel bitter yourself. Even though a lot of it you can do nothing about, you know, this guy in this country over there or this guy over there, even some of the, the, the guys in our country that are just pillaging the nation, not a heck of a lot I can actually do with it. Um, and so I found myself beholding all of that and very far from an olive tree, quite, quite dry actually and, and, and sapped of, of spiritual vigor, you know. So I said, well, I want to be an olive tree. I'm missing something here. David can see all of this yet remain an olive tree. So immediately I sort of think, so how do I be an olive tree? How do I become like an olive tree? And actually, I think this surprise is that uh, if you understand section one and two, you, you are found to be an olive tree. I believe um, as far as uh, re- remaining, retaining that vibrant spiritual life, if you understand the nature of evil and you understand um, someone is phoning, trying to dial in. <laughs> a flight mode <laughs> yes, that's on water. Should I just carry on? I should wait for the Zoomers. Can they still hear me? It just means I'll have to go over 11 o'clock. This is, I was going to say a lot in this time.
maybe, oh, sorry, maybe while we're sorting this out, I, I actually did have a note here. I think maybe you can turn in your groups as we prayed just now. Um, and looking back on section one and two, perhaps just discuss amongst yourselves whether, whether it's, it's been relevant to you in the last weeks, whether it's been helpful, whether it's come, yeah, it's been brought to remembrance in anything that you've looked out on this week. So maybe a quick five-minute discussion, turn to the people around you and, and say whether, you know, understanding the nature of evil and understanding God's sure judgment on it, whether that's been helpful to you or helped you to understand or look at anything of late. Okay, go. Green herbs like wintergrass or like the wildflowers on the west coast. It's only two months and then they're gone. So, um, <clears throat> David's encouraging us to look at that. And what we also see here is way, ways, the three ways almost, like your way, God's way, and the other way. Um, and he's saying, when we see evil prospering, as it says there, fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way. So that's talking about saying an evil person, seemingly unchecked, is actually prospering. He's making a lot of money. He's, no one's touching him. He's like, he seems to be prospering. David says, fret not yourself. Because the temptation can be, when we don't see that, is to come up with our own solution or to even become like that because it seems like a reasonable path, nothing happens. But, but Scripture talks about our ways the whole time. And there's, Lord's, there's God's way. There's the Lord's way. And that's saying, commit your way to Him. He's got a way. Put your way on that same path. Uh, wait patiently for Him. God is going to do what He's going to do. Um, and we see assurances again that He will act. He will act and bring about justice. So, um, it's a lot of the same things we've been talking about. And then he says, wait with endurance. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Wait for what? For Him. God. Wait for God to do what He's going to do. Um, so, <clears throat> if we can go to the next one. Just some more pieces from Psalm 37. He says, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him, but the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. For the Lord loves justice, he will not forsake his saints. Wait for the Lord and keep his way. So again we see there, his way. And, and David's exhorting us here, he says, there are legitimate emotions, it might be, Anyone would understand fretting in the face of evil. Anyone would understand anger and wrath in the face of, of, of evil. Those are legitimate emotions that one will feel. They are understandable. But David is saying, just let go of it. it. Fretting and getting worked up tends only to evil. Legitimate as those may be, if you're going to maintain them and feed them and dwell on them, they're going to tend only to evil. He says, just put them off. Them off, and on what basis does he do that? On what basis do we fret not ourselves? For the evildoers shall be cut off. Again, there's an assurance that enables us to let go of that fretting. Um, and just some other interesting things there again, and we looked at last week. It says, The righteous shall see and fear and laugh. 
And there are lots of other psalms where it says the enemies, nations rage, peoples plot in vain, but the Lord holds, in, holds them in derision and he laughs. And again we see uh, the Lord laughs at the wicked. And um, it's just really to, there's some like holy laughing to be had when we look at these things properly. Because it's not like necessarily doom and gloom. It, it, it is for the wicked. It is lots of doom and gloom. But for the righteous, there's a relief. There's like a, whew, and there's a laughter. And there's a, when you see these things in perspective, they, they're almost laughable. That's what scripture is saying for God. Whole nations can look like a big deal, you know. From God's perspective, it's like laughable. Um, <clears throat> and we see there that waiting, wait for the Lord and keep his way. Waiting for the Lord means keeping. Waiting means keeping. So waiting is not like walking around complaining or looking for other options or whatever it is. Waiting for the Lord, there's a keeping of his way and hearing what he has to say and appropriating his point of view on it. Okay. And that's what I'm hoping for today. Intellectually, it's easy to know, you know there's evil and yes, God will judge it. But that really needs to sink into our hearts and we need to take that assurance out of that. We need to allow that assurance to enable us to forsake wrath, to refrain from anger and to put off fretting. Otherwise, we will be choked by those things. And I believe that that's the basis upon which David finds himself to be a green olive tree. All those sap-sucking, life-growth-stunting agents of, of, of wrath and bitterness and and fretting have been, they've been like quenched. They've been put aside. They've been dealt with. So <clears throat> that is why he is flourishing like a green olive tree. Because interestingly, I mean, in, like Delta variant is contagious. But you know what's more contagious is like bitterness and fear and complaining. That is, it is super contagious. I know because I always catch that sickness. <laughs> And pass it on. Um, and uh, the, you know, the world in the face of all of that really is hopeless. I mean, like a new piece of law is not going to stop a guy who really doesn't care about the law. A, a new piece of this or all the things that the world would try and launch against evil, all the world's best efforts apart from God that it would launch against the problem of evil, will fail. And they will see them failing over and over. And to hope in that, to bring about something that only God can bring, is to really surely leave you hopeless and disappointed. Um, and that, 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 if we have misplaced hopes, that's why your love grows cold. Because you become hopeless, and evil is really just prospering. And... Um, what starts to then breed is the frustration, the fear, the cynicism, the bitterness. And that is really, really, really contagious. Christians, though Christians maybe um, intellectually would know better, Christians, it's very easy for any Christian, including this one standing here, to actually just start to have the same outlook as the world. And, yeah, should, I thought to myself, there should really be a distinction. Intellectually, I know better, but it's not translating to my heart because I'm just as bitter as all these other people's articles that I'm reading. I'm just as bitter and hopeless. And so I want us to just be aware of that. 
intellectually, it needs to translate to your heart. You need to actually place your assurance in that. You need to place your trust in the fact that God will correct this injustice. If it's not now, as, as for the martyrs in Revelation, it wasn't corrected yet. God says, hang a while, I will. We need to place our hope in that and really put our assurances on that. And then we will find ourselves free of fretting. Because the fretting is not going to change the, the, the evil man. <clears throat> so that brings David to be found to be an olive tree. But there's more than that. It's like everything brings him there to be an olive tree. But there are other things in this passage that I think make for, make for nourishment of an olive tree. You can be found to be an olive tree, but then there's the things that nourish that fertilizer and water and microbes and all these things. Um, and then we got, I want us to look at that. So here we are in the last section of the psalm, and it says, But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. I will thank you forever because you have done it. I will wait for your name, for it is good in the presence of the godly. And so what I want to say there is, if we look at those texts, that, those bits of text in yellow, um, the house of God and the presence of the godly, a key for us here in, in staying green and maintaining spiritual vitality, <clears throat> this passage denotes something more than a, a tree. You know, David's a green olive tree, but he's not a, a solitary tree out there on a hill somewhere. What the language is denoting here is that he's part of a cultivation almost. He's in the house of God. He's in the fellowship of the saints. And so when you think of yourself as being an olive tree, it's an, an olive tree as part of a cultivation. It's God's garden of olive trees that he's cultivating. It's you as an olive tree next to another one. Um, and those will play into that. Okay, the language is not... I'm out here on my own, independent of everyone, and God is sustaining me. The language is, is saying, no, he is also sustained because he's in the presence of the godly. Um, there's, a, there's a communal aspect to, to this. There's more than one olive tree. Um, and, what we also see, and we'll talk a bit more about that later. But what we also see here in the green is, um, I trust in the steadfast love of God. And I will thank you forever because you have done it. So what we see there is David's put his trust in something that's trustworthy. He's green and he's maintaining hope because he's actually, he's, his hopes are pinned on something that's actually going to deliver. The steadfast love of God. Steadfast is, means resolute. It's fixed in purpose. It's, it's, it's there. It's solid. It's, on the, it's nailed to the ground. It's really anchored. That's the language of steadfast, and it's God's steadfast love that David has pinned his hope in. He says, I trust in the steadfast love of God. And I sometimes like to read the Matthew Henry commentary because he's got such a funny way of saying stuff, but like really interesting ways. And um, what he said there was, it's a life of faith and confidence in his grace. Again, intellectually Christians know that. We know God's powerful. We know he's got grace, but... Like your life has to rest on that grace to remain nourished. If you're going to keep it intellectually but trust in other things and draw, try and draw nourishment from other things, it's not going to, it's not going to happen. So it's talking about a life of faith and, and confidence in God and in His grace. 
that next part in blue talking about a life of thankfulness and joy in God. <clears throat> and this is very important because these all have their counterparts as well. So, so trust in the steadfast love has its counterpart of unbelief or doubt. Um, <clears throat> and, and, and thankfulness also has its counterparts of complaining and bitterness, which we so naturally gravitate to. But our lives have to be trained, we have to train ourselves in so many ways to actually maintain thankfulness. And always realigning our eyes on God. So, you know, the, the one is, is, is fertilizer to the green olive tree. Thankfulness and faith in his steadfast ways is fertilizer to the green olive tree. But the counterparts are actually, it's like poison. To the, so, it's not be, we shouldn't be naive about that. Those things will not make for an olive tree. Well, they will suck it. They will kill it. Um, and what I've, a scripture that I've got there that, I, again, I've found so much encouragement from the Old Testament of late. But there's a, a section of scripture in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 12. Um, and it's, so, the, so the scene is, the, I can't remember which army it was, but they've come against Jehoshaphat, who's the king of Jerusalem. At the time, and a whole nation has come against them, and the the, the prophet has come to speak and they've said, okay, you must go out to face them. I mean, it's the whole story of then all the singers are at the front. The, the word of the prophet comes and says, okay, you guys just stand and watch. Put the singers at the front. We're just going to worship and you're going to see God do what he does. But just the prayer of Jehoshaphat here I found so helpful and says, oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I thought, yeah, if ever there's a prayer for a Christian who's feeling like he's got no idea, Jehoshaphat, Scripture allows you to pray that. You can say, Lord, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. And he acknowledges, we've got nothing against these people that have come against us. We don't know what to do. We're looking to you. And then what does God have them do? He has them worship. And that's really, again, to illuminate a life of worship and thankfulness to God is, is many times, it's not an add-on, it's actually what he'd have you do in that time. Especially with things, I find like all the evil in the world, I don't know what to do about it. I don't know how to fix it or how to solve it. God would say in that time, worship me. And when you worship him and you see him for who he is, you understand all those things fall into place. You understand who he is and what he's going to do. And his compassion and his faithfulness and his justice, and you can worship him. Um, so then that we can go to the next slide there. And then he says, I will wait for your name, for it is good. So there we see to a life of, of expectation and humble dependence upon God. All our longings, all our um, consolations yet un received, yet tarrying somewhere in the future, things that are, we're still longing for and consolations, we, we put those for safekeeping with God. And then we can wait for His name. We can wait for His name. And that's, a, again, it's a lifelong habit. It's a lifelong training, a lifelong positioning of our hearts and of our minds on God's way. And so then the last point um, we're almost getting close to the end here, but is in the presence of the godly, which I mentioned earlier. And again, I think this is a key to the to the olive understanding the olive tree and its health. 
It's not solitary. It's in the cultivation. It's, it's around other saints. He says there, in the presence of the godly. And that was a consolation for David, is that despite all that was going on around him, he had, you know, out there, he had the godly people. He had the, the saints. He had the fellowship around him. And I believe what this is saying to us is that that's part of the consolation. That's part of the consolation that enables you to maintain spiritual vitality in the face of terrible out there. <clears throat> because to, to, um, to withdraw is a sure way to shrivel up. You know, like all that, that's there in fellowship, whether it's like encouragement or, or correction or uh, laughter or camaraderie or whatever it is, you know, that fellowship fellowship like this meeting together the saints coming together is is so precious it is it is given to us as a gift as a strengthening um and i want us to understand that and i believe that's what the psalm is also communicating it's part of david what gives david spiritual strength is his brothers and sisters um because to withdraw from that it, you miss out on that that affection that like you know that handshake that hug, that pat on the back, that encouragement, that, that refinement, you know, maybe you come with a funny idea, and then in your fellowship with your brothers and sisters, God just kind of, you know, sorts that out, and then you, you again walking in his ways, and he's helping you, and he's raising you, you know, as a father, and to withdraw from all of that is, is dangerous, and it will cause you to shrivel up as a tree, um, it's not on the slide there, but I've got in Proverbs 18, verse 1, that I sometimes think of. It says, a man who, tro- who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all sound judgment. Um, so, and, and you guys may have experienced this too. Isolation in the face of, of life's evils. If you're the only person dealing with it on yourself, with your own thoughts, with your own articles that you're reading or whatever it is that you are doing if you're isolated from the household of God and the fellowship of of God it's, it's very tricky very difficult to maintain um, like a, a godly outlook a maintain hope maintain strength courage very easily very very easily shriveled up um, I've experienced that too. You know, you rage against all sound judgment. Sometimes, I was on a gap year. I'll just mention a brief story. But it was a good time, but sometimes a bad time because I was just out alone. After school, I realized no one cares what I do, where I go. I'm just a man out here on my own. And I lived pretty much a solitary life. Like, you had people, but not in the sense of family or, or like your godly family. So, yes, it's just like amazing the ideas that I came up with in that time. Like whack trains of thought. Very warped ways of thinking. And, and you also even start to develop like a bit of a problem with, you know, church. Or you've got a bit of a problem with that and a bit of an issue with this. And you get like... And why I think of this proverb so often is because it described me at that time uh, so well. I was isolated and he seeks his own desire and he rages against all sound judgment. You become like the cleverest oak in the world. You become the one who knows it all. Because no one's challenging that. It's never getting checked. It's never getting um, sorted out. So, anyway, that's just a little side nugget. Um, 
to encourage you guys to to seek out fellowship and and deep relationships are complex deep relationships take um, conflict resolution uh, yeah but it's it's a gift to us it's God's consolation um, and the other thing about being in the fellowship of the godly, as David's talking about, is that it reminds us of who God is and His works. We are prone to become forgetful of that. We can easily f- forget about who He is and what He's done and, um, and, and become strangers to His sort of presence and His refreshment. You know, you can't maintain that all on your own. Um, so really the beauty of being part of the, the body is is you get reminded of who God is. You look at scripture together, you pray together. Someone prays for you and you realize again, yes, I remember God did this and he does this. And you've got fresh life again. Um, and that's all that is designed to do. Like The fellowship of the saints is designed to do that. It's God's way in which he sustains us as well in so many ways. Um, and that's why scripture talks about godly unity so much. Scripture has a lot to say about the unity of the saints and fellowship. Um, because as believers, as children of God with a Father, there are eternal deep things that bind us together. Um, and, and Scripture really, really warns us to protect that. Because it won't go unattacked, if I can put it like that. I mean, the enemy loves to divide that. So that's why Scripture um, exhorts us. But maybe, I wonder what the time is. Okay, I was going to have us discuss that, but you can discuss it after. What, you know, what binds us together as believers? What are those things? Because sometimes we think of other things, and then, and then when those things don't line up, we think, well, we can't walk together. But, you know, the really deep things that enable us to walk together as brother and sister are always there. And, and other temporal things might come against that, but you have to keep your eyes on the eternal things so that the temporal things don't shake up that and you don't lose out on that Um, so we see in Ephesians 4 verse 1 to 3 Paul saying I therefore you can just go to the next slide there I therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness with patience bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Maintain it. It takes maintenance. Um, Because as I said, it will be assaulted by the evil one. Um, And then another quick passage we can look at is in Titus 3, uh, 4 to 11, where Paul gives a very strong warning to Titus about letting divisiveness come in and and, um, disturb the unity in the Spirit that we have. And it says... Um, I'm just going to page to it in my, my Bible, yeah. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. That sounds like the world. Um, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. 
The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. So, like a really strong warning from Paul. But in that, at the same time, he, he talks about the things that the believers have in common. All that language is about our, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we were washed by His mercy and the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. And so, there's a nice section in there if you want to study that later about the things that bind us together as believers in God. And Paul is saying, there's a unity that's created there that you need to protect and conserve because it's going to be challenged. <clears throat> and if you allow division to come in and steal from that, you actually steal from the consolation that you have. So the train of thought that we've just had now is that the fellowship of the saints is part of the consolation that keeps you as a green olive tree. If you allow division to steal from that, you, you lose out on some of that consolation and, and you, you're going to Start, start, start drying up. Um, but yeah, I see the time is, time is running away with us. Um, that's, that's Psalm 52 um, in a nutshell. Uh, a three-week a, a three nutshell. Um, yeah, so that, I mean, let me just... Okay, I'm not going to summarize again. <laughs> I've summarized it so many times, you're probably bored by now. But, um, yeah, as we go out and as we face evil, and as times get go from bad to worse, as Scripture says, let us remember that there is a place where you can be an olive tree. You, you, we cannot be sucked dry like the world, found hopeless as the world is hopeless. Um, and, and some of the ways that we look at that is, is understanding evil, because the world hopes that the world's going to get better and better. Yeah, you know, if, if all the nations can just come together and we can just do this, then life will be better. And like, even philosophies of, you know, making the world a better place one step at a time is like, Scripture talks about walking in the kingdom and God can show his hand and God can bless on earth and really turn things around that are mirrors of his kingdom. So definitely not discounting that. But, you know, the hope that the world is going to get better and better if man just tries really hard, is a really vain hope. And so section one tells us that. Section two tells us that even though evil goes unchecked now, it will be checked. And that is our assurance. It's a consolation for us. And then part three, there are a couple of things that, that make for nourishment of a green olive tree. And that's really what I want us to bear in mind going forward. Because my hope is that is that the church and, and the saints can can be buoyant, you know, in the world. When, when, when things go from bad to worse and bad news gets worse, that, that the children of God are, are not taken with the tide of the world. So that's my hope. I'm going to pray for us. Um, Nodia, I think if you can play a little bit for us there, we can worship um, with a song. That'll be good. I'm going to pray for us. And then if you, if you want...